Uh, I was grateful to have Jerry up here speaking last week. I was in uh, Eastern Canada, a place called New Brunswick. I grew up there for about seven years. I went to this little camp uh, when I was eight or nine years old. And uh, for the past five years, I've had the joy of gathering with uh, friends and relatives and others uh, who are part of a family camp there and speaking there. Uh, so grateful to be back. It's like I said, we're starting another school year, uh, another year of ministry together and another year of living on mission. And I, uh, for, forgive me for not pumping this more often. I, I need to get better at that. I want to be better in so many other ways this year. But uh, here's our, our mission. If, if you are unfamiliar with what we're about here at Bay Life Church, this is it. We live, say it with me. Let's have fun. We live to glorify God by being disciples who make disciples. Uh, for 2,000 years since the inception of the first church, this has, perhaps with other words, been predominantly the mission of the church universal. We were created by God for God, and so therefore we live to glorify God. That's what a church is meant to do, his church is meant to do. We were meant to glorify God by being his disciples, by becoming less and less like we were without him and more and more like we are now that he is in us and we are in him. And then our mission is to make more disciples. We who are disciples have been given the mantle, the opportunity, the blessing of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ uh, with those who don't know him and seeing them grow in maturity and become disciples with us. Uh, as we seek to glorify God uh, by being disciples who make disciples, we, we, we try to do that by emphasizing four things. They're like the four legs on your chair. Is everybody sitting on a chair? You got four, four legs on yours? Mine does too, let's see if it works. Oh, very nice, very nice. Uh, these four legs uh, hold me up. And in our relationship with Christ and in our pursuit of his mission, there's four things that hold us up. That's why we put the word four on the front of your bulletins. What are those four things? Say them with me. We worship, we belong, we multiply. Oh, I tricked you. We multiply and then we serve. We worship God, we worship God alone. We're gonna talk about that today. We, seek to belong to God and to his people and to each other. We seek to multiply his kingdom to expand uh, his work here in his world. And then when we seek to serve him, his church, and each other with the gifts that he's given us. I was praying on the drive back from Canada to Boston where I flew in. And God, as, as we head into this series and talk again about these things that shape us and that determine our paths, uh, how, how do you want me to approach it? Are there different things that you want me to say? Is there some catchy? And he, just, he just kept coming to me in those times of, of prayer and silence, just saying, just Mark, tell him to do it better. I was like, oh Lord, that's kind of simple, right? And uh, I don't know, maybe I'd been listening to the radio and the Papa John's commercial came on, you know, better ingredients, better pizza, Papa John's. I don't know if that's what, you know, sparked it in my thoughts. But I, as I kind of said, God, give me something that sounds smarter, something that sounds cooler. He said, Mark, life isn't all about, you know, the, uh, uh, the poignant. It's, it's about, a lot of it's just the simple. Just tell them to do it better. Tell them to, as the year, you know, approaches to worship me better. Tell them in their relationships with me and, and with each other to belong in more meaningful and better ways. Tell them, certainly this year, to be more active, to multiply better in sharing the good news of the gospel. And tell them to serve better. Serve me, serve my church, and serve my world better. Well, that's my hope for myself this year. And we'll talk about some different ways that we can do that in the coming weeks. I'll try to give us some 
measurables that we can seek and becoming better disciples who make disciples and becoming better at giving God the glory he's due. Uh, but we're going to start this week talking about worship. Huge topic. In fact, when I say the word worship, probably lots of different things pop in your head. Why don't you turn to someone next to you uh, and just when I say worship, you say what? And then just tell them what comes to your mind. Uh, maybe even come up if you want to go varsity, come up with a definition for worship. Worship is blah, right? And if you're by yourself, have a conversation with yourself. You do it all the time. Have another one. Uh, but turn to someone, have that quick conversation. Let's see what we get. Go ahead. Worship. What is it? What comes to mind? Everybody, everybody got something? It's always fun to look at it. People are just like. Uh, but grateful you're all here. What'd you say? When I say worship, you say what? Adoration? Who said adoration? We're going to talk about that today. Way to go. What else? Who said praise? Praise is a good one. What else? Glory. Glorify. Living sacrifice. We're going to talk about that one. You might say singing. Yeah, sure. Certainly a form of worship, uh, singing uh, has, has become kind of, it's been labeled the worship set or the worship portion of the service. I wanna be careful about that. Worship's way bigger than singing. I mean, certainly we should be worshiping God as we sing, uh, but it's, it's adoration, it's glorify, a word we don't really use uh, a whole lot in, in our vernacular other than at church, but it's, um, well, it, let's just start here. Worship is, is etymog etymologically, oh, that's a hard word to say. Why did they make the word that tells us how, where words come from so hard to say? It comes from the word worth, the same root that gives us the word worth. So it's really worthship. It's what we ascribe worth to. When we worship something, we say that deserves honor. That deserves my praise, my esteem. There's been lots of uh, definitions for worship uh, that have been uh, posited by smarter minds than the one that's talking to you. One of them is by a guy named John Piper. Uh, he says this about worship in one of the articles I read. Uh, he said, right worship depends on a right grasp in our minds of the way God really is, and then a right response in our heart to his worth. I think that's just awesome, the way he phrased because he, he brings two key components to worship, knowledge, knowing who someone is, uh, and then responding in a right way to that understanding uh, from the heart, uh, giving glory and honor and praise uh, to the one who is worth glory, honor, and praise. Uh, it's true that if you don't know, it's hard for you to uh, worship what you don't appreciate or know. I, I, uh, I heard the story once of a young man who had just graduated from college. He was interviewing on Wall Street for his first job. And so I uh, was running a little bit late and ran to the subway uh, to catch his train to the place where he would interview as he was busting through the doors trying to catch this train so he could carry on. Uh, he bumped into an older gentleman who was carrying a briefcase and his overcoat and his newspaper and he jostled him and he just kind of looked back, but, but he wasn't concerned. He's on his own. This is New York. And he got in. Well, the guy came and stood right next to him and looked a little miffed at him. Uh, and, and he was like, well, you know, sorry, bro. Be faster. 
And uh, uh, they went a couple stops. The train emptied at this stop. If you've ever been on a subway, the train empties, people get out of chairs, and you have the opportunity to sit down. Well, this kid was so nervous, he thought, you know, it'd be probably great if I could sit down. And so um, uh, as, as a chair emptied next to him and this older gentleman, uh, he quickly shot his tuchus into the chair just as the man, you know, was beginning to, you know, it was one of those sneak attacks, you know, the guy's getting ready to sit down, and all of a sudden the kid's there, and he's like, <laughs> right? And uh, they, they rode along. They, they got out at the same stop, and uh, the old man just kind of, you know, looked over at the younger guy, and, and then they went up different escalators to the, to the street. Uh, the young man was sitting in the waiting room waiting for his interview, and the door opened, and the old man came out. And the old man said to the young man, you interviewing for the open position here? And the young man said, yes, sir. And the old man said, you didn't get it. (laughs) And walked back to his office. (laughs) Uh, Had the younger man known at the subway station who he was bumping into and who he stole his seat from, uh, he might have acted different. My sense is that a lot of times, uh, even in the church, when people fail to worship God, it's from failure to understand who he is and just how worthy he is. I went to a, uh, a more generic site for uh, a less spiritual definition of worship. So I, I went to vocabulary.com, didn't even know it existed. I can't endorse it, but I stole this uh, one uh, definition and I liked it too. It says, worship is an extreme form of love marked by an unquestioning devotion. Worship is an extreme form of love marked by an unquestioning devotion. If that's true and we apply it to God, then to worship God is to love and trust God so much that ultimately we refuse to question his will even when we have questions about his will. And then we seek to submit everything in life to him regardless of what life brings. I see that in so many of the characters that God reveals to us in his scriptures, probably, you know, most prominently in this guy, Job, you've heard of him. If you kind of plopped your Bibles open, he's pretty much right in the middle next to Psalms, but it's, it's the oldest book, we think, uh, from uh, all of the 66 that we have collected there in our Bibles. It's probably the, the most ancient, and it tells the story of this guy, Job, uh, who had been blessed by God. He had, um, you know, great riches and a great family, and, and he worshiped God, and and, and he became the subject of a conversation between God and his adversary, or yeah, Satan. And, and Satan said, listen, Job only worships you because of everything you give him. Take it all away and he'll curse your name. And so God said, well, let's see if that's true. And so he removes his hand of protection from Job and allows his adversary, Satan, to take everything from Job. And if you read the first chapter, that's exactly what happens. Everything goes. Kids die. Crops and and uh, flocks are stolen. All of his wealth is taken from him. And Satan was right in this way. Um, if you go to someone and, and you go to certain people and you take everything that God has blessed them with away from them, they'll curse his name. He just wasn't right about who. Because if you get to the end of that story, there is one who curses the name of God. She's married to Job. And she turns to her husband and she says, Uh, you fool, in essence, I'm paraphrasing, but curse God and die was her advice uh, on this hardest of days. But do you remember what Job said? Job uh, said this. He said, naked I came into the world and naked I shall return. Translation, 
My belief in God, my worship of God is not tied to what I have. And then he says this, in the midst of losing everything, Job says, blessed, blessed be the name of the Lord. Someone should write that song. <laughs> Job understood that true worship, right worship, is born of a love and a trust that manifests itself in an unquestioning devotion to the one that we worship. How are you doing with worship? Like I said, it's a huge topic. We could go in all kinds of directions, like who or what are you worshiping more than God? Uh, when it comes to worshiping God, are you doing it from a passion or from a, uh, an appropriation? You're supposed to. How, how are you doing with worship? Uh, unfortunately, we can, no matter where we go with our direction on worship, we can all agree to this. Um, in our pre previous nature to us being born of Christ and being in relationship with Christ through faith in him, uh, we are not worshipers of God. In fact, in the old us, in the old man, in our fallenness, left to our own devices, we war against worship of God. Because the old us wants to just worship self. We were created by God uh, for theistic purposes. We were created to, to honor him and to glorify him and to have him as our ultimate. But when sin came into the world, our, our focus changed. Uh, we went from being theistic in our pursuits to being hedonistic in our pursuits. We, we just wanted to serve and worship ourselves. We lived for our own happiness, our own pleasure, and our own comfort. And we still, even as uh, you know, regenerate believers, even as those who have been saved by grace, we still have this kind of tug of war back and forth. I mean, the old man is always at the ready to come, even in, in worship services. You know, we'll sit there and the old man will say, well, I don't like this song. And the new man will say, well, sing praises to God anyway, bozo. Because the new man's really direct like that. The old man will say, well, I don't like how that one person's singing it. And the new man will say, you're not here to watch that person sing it. You're here to worship the God that we're singing about. Right? Right? Good. It is right. But that's where the old man comes in. The old man wants what the old man wants. I want what makes me happy and me content, me comfortable, brings me pleasure. You can see it anywhere you go. Just hang out with humans long enough. You'll see it pop up. I was in an airport flying back from uh, Boston on Tuesday. Got through TSA, had a few hours before my flight, and so I went to grab something to eat. I was in this one restaurant that had a wood-fired uh, pizza oven. And so I ordered a pizza, and I waited for it to be cooked. I had the same idea as about 15 other passengers, and the pizza uh, line got backed up. And it's just amazing to watch. Uh, we were all given these little buzzers with numbers on it, uh, and we were supposed to wait for our pizzas to be done. But it's amazing to watch people who are waiting. You know, I got to get to my flight. I, it's all about me. But, but as they wait, they, they start trying to jump in line and grab other people's pizzas. And so uh, it became kind of Lord of the Flies, except it was Lord of the Pizzas, right? And there was only three kinds of pizzas, cheese, pepperoni, and 
meat bomb, whatever it was. I ordered meat bomb because I'm an American. And, uh, uh, but I just watched as one after another people would get up and, and, and the pizza would be handed to someone else and you could just see the hedonism. That is not making me happy. That was my pizza. And I just kind of stood back for the first 10, 15 minutes of watching this and just, you know, watched human nature. But then about 25 minutes into it, I hadn't gotten my pizza yet. <laughs> I'm going to testify. My phone went in my pocket and I got ready for the next meat bomb pizza. <laughs> and I was positioned really close to where the pizzas were being handed out. And someone said, meat bomb pizza. And I jockeyed my way and quickly grabbed that pizza as a few other people were coming from the back. That's mine. I'm like, no, it's not. Because even us Christians kind of lose traction on the whole not worshiping ourselves things. We make ourselves ultimate. We choose to love and trust ourselves to the extent that we not only question God, but we toss him aside altogether. We chart our own course in life. Which leads us to a mess every time. You know, we're kind of like these kids that I saw in that same terminal. I'm eating my pizza now. And uh, I'm so grateful to be at a stage in life uh, where my kids are all over the age of 20. And if we travel together, you're on your own. I mean, I hope you make it to the plane. It's right there on your ticket. So, you know, uh, but I'm not holding your hand until we get to the gate. You know, you're on your own. Isn't that great? Those of us who are at that stage, it's awesome. Because those of you who have little kids, you can't do that. You got to make sure they get to wherever you're going. And uh, depending on how many you have, that's challenging. Like I saw this one family, and of course they had the infant that's, you know, they strapped the babies to the belly now. All, all, you know, all these kids just walking around the airport like this. <laughs> but uh, this one family, the mom had a, an infant on the front, and she was carrying the, uh, the hands of the five-year-old and the four-year-old. The dad had everybody's bag. Has anybody seen this family? There's like, I don't know how he did it, but he had like six carry-ons, door explorer, backpacks, all this stuff. And he's yanking this huge, you know, cargo and with one hand, and he had the two-year-old or three-year-old, his hand in the other hand. And so they're, they're all walking down the aisle, and mom with, you know, baby bouncing in front, and dad with two-year-old in bags, and the two-year-old wriggles free. We are about to have an episode, right? And so the dad does this, son, I mean it. I'm going to count to three, and you need to be back. I'm like, dad, don't count. You're just giving him time to get some, you know, room. You're, give, you're giving him, he, he's, you're giving him a head start. Don't count to three, grab that kid. Well, of course he gets to one and the kid's like, that's all I need. And he starts booking down the terminal. I mean, he's just hauling. So here's this dad hauling door, you know, Jimmy, come back. And it's only a few steps because two-year-olds, that's long. His dad grabs him, grabs his shoulder and the kid wriggles free. And does the kid say, okay, you got me. So what the kid does? No, the dad reaches down. Give me your hand. What's the kid do? Dad finally grabs arm and doesn't yank it out of its socket. Probably wanted to, but uh, he just starts dragging Jimmy down the terminal. What's Jimmy doing? Uh, that was a good race, Dad. You got me. Is that what Jimmy's doing? Let's go to the gate. Kicking and screaming. He's a two-year-old, doesn't know where he's going, doesn't have anybody to go to, but he just doesn't want to be with dad. Isn't that us? 
in the spiritual sense. That old man, that, that spiritual two-year-old comes out of all of us every once in a while. Where God says, come on, let's go. Here's, here's what's best for your life. Here's where you're going to flourish. Here's where my will will take you. And we wiggle free and he says, come on. We start running. He says, come on. And he finally catches us and we're still like, ah. And he gets us where we need to go. Not because we want him to. Because the old man is strong. The Bible provides ample warning against this way of life. On almost every page, you see admonishment to stay with God and to eschew and resist the temptation to go our own way. The book of Proverbs was written predominantly by a guy named Solomon. He was the king of Israel. He wrote most of it to his sons. And he just told them, hey, man, this is the, the wise way to life. This is the way that God would have us go. Uh, there's another way. It's called folly. He likens this foolishness to a, a harlot, a woman who cries out and seduces from the streets. And he says, don't listen to her. Stay wise. And he gets later in the book, and he, he actually starts saying the same phrase over and over again. He, he actually uses it word for word in a couple of verses. And in Proverbs 14, 12, he says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to, where? Death. Uh, he, he, he does a few more Proverbs, and in chapter 16, he writes it again. In case you missed it the first time, fellas, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its way is the end of death. He paraphrases and rephrases this same sentiment over and over again. And what's he trying to convey to his sons? Hey, fellas, don't trust your gut. Now, I'm not saying that you never sense in your spirit what God wants you to do. That's, that's different. That's us worshiping God and following God and obeying God as he leads us in life. But all of us have this gut instinct, right? And a lot of times our gut is tethered to old us. And our gut is saying, hey man, here's how to make yourself happy. Here's how to bring the, the greatest amount of pleasure. Here's how to bring as much comfort as possible to your life. It seems so right in those moments, who's with me? In those moments where we're going with our gut, of course this is gonna work out. Of course this is gonna be best. It seems so clear. But then as we move forward, we realize this isn't it at all. You know, in almost every worship sermon uh, I've ever preached on worship, uh, I've included these verses, very familiar ones, from what Paul wrote to the Romans. Uh, so let's read them again. He says this, after 11 chapters of uh, arguing and, and proving that Jesus um, and faith in Jesus is the way, Paul says this, after that defense, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. If you and I worship God, uh, we worship because he gives us the grace and the mercy to do so, all right? So by the mercies of God, he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, a holy and acceptable sacrifice to God, which is your spiritual worship, your spiritual act of worship. In light of the gospel, in light of what we've been given in Christ, the only reasonable thing that you and I can do is to worship God. We do that by making ourselves a sacrifice. He was writing to uh, you know, an audience that had all come from either pagan religions or uh, the Jewish religion. There was no irreligious people in those days. There um, wasn't any such thing as an atheist that we know of. Uh, and so everybody worshiped somebody or something 
And they usually did so by sacrificing. They would take animals, they would take grain offerings and other things, and they would sacrifice them to whoever they were worshiping. So he said, okay, that's what you know. Let's stick with that. But, but I want you to know it's not going to be, you know, you know the, the animals in your barn or, or the grains in your fields. It will be you that become the sacrifices. You're not going to die, but spiritually and internally, you're going to die to the old man and the desire to hedonistically, you know, pleasure yourself and, and provide yourself comfort. You're going to die to those urges and you're going to instead worship God. He even tells us how to do it. He says in verse two, so don't be conformed to the world. Don't, don't settle for the old man and the world's um, um, pursuit of happiness and hedonism. He says, instead be transformed by the renewal of your mind. It's this present tense imperative. He says, listen, every day, wake up and, and shake your head free of all the you know, stinking thinking that is the old life and the old way. And instead, let your mind be renewed by God and be set and, and calibrated to him and his purposes so that by testing you may discern what his will is, what's good and acceptable and perfect. It starts with our worship, our obedience, our um, accomplishing of his mission, it starts with our worship. Hmm. Uh, we need to do this all the time. Uh, waking up every day and saying, God, your way, not mine. Uh, your will, not mine. Uh, keep me from being conformed uh, to old me and to the world's ideas. Uh, set me free from that. And what I want to do with the time that I have left is tell you a story uh, or show you a story from the scriptures that details for us how easy it is to, um, in our acceptance of Christ, uh, be right in our worship. And then how easy it is in just a, a few verses in the story uh, to go from being in that place of right worship to being far from it. All because we went from having this um, adoration of our God, this acceptance of his will and his will alone, and, and we instead supplanted God's will and, and, and we replaced it with a version of, of our futures that we prefer. Now, it, if, if you're following me, what, what I think happens a lot of times in my life, maybe yours too, is that I go from being passionate in my worship of God and, and having no conditions tied to my following of him to being in some situations um, just appreciative of God, grateful for the things he's given me, but I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to invoke my will over top of yours and head in the directions that I want to go instead. It's, uh, it's really easy to do that. You know, like uh, we do that in so many ways where we can appreciate, you know, uh, uh, something that's given to us, like who, who's ever gotten something on Christmas morning, a sweater from Aunt Somebody that you hold up and you're like, oh, great, a sweater. And you have no intention of ever wearing it outside. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, well, that's an indoor sweater. Like if it ever gets super cold in Florida, which it doesn't, uh, I'll wear it around the house. Uh, maybe I could use it as a shop rag. But uh, we're not wearing that outside. But thanks, aunt, whoever. 
Merry Christmas. Um, I think we can get that way with God. Hey, appreciate you, Lord. Thanks for the blessings. Thanks for the, the direction. Thanks for what your word tells me about this certain situation, how I'm supposed to live for you. Appreciate that. But you know what? I'm not going to put it on. Uh, I appreciate you. But in this certain area of life, I don't adore you. And I certainly don't adore you and love you and trust you to the point where I'm going to follow you. We're all prone to that. Let's watch it happen in the life of a guy named Peter. Anybody heard of Peter? In Matthew chapter 16, Peter's one of the disciples, and he's been hanging out with Jesus probably about a year and a half, two years now. He's seen some incredible things. I mean, just two chapters prior to this story, in Matthew 16, uh, Pete and his friends had been told by Jesus to go out in a boat, and the big, huge uh, storm came up on the Sea of Galilee there, and, uh, and they were thought they were going to die, and here comes Jesus walking on the water. Remember this story? We just sang about it, right? Jesus comes walking out on the water. Pete says, Jesus, if, it's that, if that's you, let's dance. And so Jesus asked Peter to come out, in the, you know, he's out in the water with them, and they're walking on the water together, and, uh, and, and it's just this incredible, and Peter has been Shotgun, riding shotgun in all of these situations. Now it comes time for Pete and Jesus to have a conversation. It says in Matthew 16, verse 13, Now when Jesus came into the, dis the district of Caesarea Philippi, stop. Have you ever read some of the places in the Bible and been like, why is it called that? What's a Caesarea Philippi? You want to know the story? I'll tell you real quick. This guy named Herod, he was the, the regent, the, 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 the Jewish ruler in Roman-occupied uh, Israel at the time of Jesus' birth, right? And he had some sons. One of them was named Philip. So old Phil Herod, uh, as uh, the son of, of this governor, uh, was given a region of Israel to govern. So here's Israel, ready? Uh, basically, up here in the north, you got the Sea of Galilee, all right? And then there's the Jordan River that basically bisects Israel going north to south. And then down here in the bottom, you've got the Dead Sea. And then Jerusalem's down here in this region. It's called Judea. And then up here in the north is the Sea of Galilee in the region called Galilee. And then even farther than that is modern-day Syria, uh, which is where Herod, Philip, or Philip Herod, had been uh, given uh, by his father uh, a place to rule. And so Philip, ruling in this place, had said, you know what, I want to get in good with Caesar. And so there, if you go to Israel in the ancient times, there's all these places of Caesarea Philippi and other Caesareas where uh, basically people in those regions says, I want to honor Caesar, so I'm going to rename this place after him. And then what they would normally do is take their name and kind of sandwich it in there so they got some pub too. That's why it's called Caesarea Philippi. You know what it was called before it was Caesarea Philippi? It's kind of important to the story. It was called Panias. Uh, it was named after the Greek god Pan. Greek god Pan is this Greek god, mythological god that had goat legs and goat horns, and he played this flute, and he was the god of the wild. He was the god of fertility and virility. He was a uh, field and stream god, right? And uh, he was worshipped there. It was actually the region was named after him. Uh, during the, the Greek Empire because there was a, a, a fountain, a, a, a waterfall that was basically seen as um, his place. And, and so people would travel from afar to worship this Greek god in this place called Panias. It was also a place of multiple other deities being worshipped in the Roman and Greek pantheons. And it was also a place where Philip, who had already honored Caesar by naming the place after him, erected a temple to Caesar himself. Did you know that the Romans worshipped 
the Caesar, the king, as if he were a god? I'm glad that nobody in our culture worships anybody in politics. But here in this place that is rife with worship, Jesus asks this question of his friends. He says, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And there's kind of a chorus of responses. They said, some say John the Baptist. Maybe you're John the Baptist come back from the dead even though he was beheaded. Uh, Some say that you're Elijah because the Jews expected the prophets of old to return, especially in the end of times. And maybe you're Jeremiah or one of those other prophets. And and Jesus says this to him. He says, who do you say that I am? And here comes Pete. Everybody else has been talking. But when Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Only one voice. Pete comes to the fore. And he says, you are the Christ. Son of the living God. This is the second time on record here in Matthew that Jesus was called the Son of the living God. And the end of that story where Pete and his friends had been in the boat and it almost sank and he and, you know, Jesus had danced on the waters. All of the disciples, once Jesus and Peter got back in the boat there in chapter 14, say, you are the Son of God. Like they're trying to figure out how in words can I quantify what just happened here? I mean, and obviously you're not one of us. You're not just a dude like the rest of us. You are from God. You are a son of God or the son of God. It's the second time that one of the disciples has referred to Jesus as the son of God. But it's the first time here in the book of Matthew that anybody has used the word Christ in reference to Jesus. Some of you think that's Jesus' last name, Jesus Christ. It's not. It's a title. It's a Greek word that was uh, used in place of a Hebrew word, Mashiach which we say Messiah. Messiah in Hebrew means anointed one. And in all of Israel, there's really only three offices that are issued or or given to someone through anointing. Now they're the office of prophet, the office of priest, and the office of king. And Jesus, uh, in receiving this title from Peter was being conferred with with all three, and he certainly is a prophet. He is the voice of God because he's God. He's a priest, and Hebrews tells us that he is our mediator, the high priest between us and God the Father. He is our king. Who's heard that one? King of kings and Lord of lords. God has appointed him authority over all. And so Peter here, for the first time anywhere, says to this carpenter from Nazareth, you are the Messiah, you're the Christ. And Jesus is well pleased. He answers him and he says, blessed are you Simon Bar-Jonah, that means son of Jonah. He says, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. If you're a Christian here this morning, you came to your faith not because you were smart enough and figured it out. The Holy Spirit, God himself, drew you to this understanding of who Jesus is. He did the same thing with Pete. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven has made this clear to you. And I tell you, he says, you are Peter. Peter's name to this point had been Cephas. And Jesus says, from now on, you're Pete. Peter means rock. And he says, on this rock, and there's been lots of debate. I don't have time to go into all the uh, different conversations about what this verse means. It's, um, uh, you know, discussed. But on this rock, he says, I will build my church. I don't think he means Peter. 
I think he means the confession that Peter made, the gospel truth that Jesus is the Christ. He says, on this I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You know what is also there in Panaeus? There's this cave opening next to this waterfall where they would worship Pan and it was believed that this was the entry to Hades itself. And so Jesus, perhaps standing near this waterfall, points to the mouth of this cave and he says, listen, none of these other gods, not Pan, not Caesar, not anybody else, and certainly not the powers of hell will ever prevail against the truth that you have just confessed. Right worship begins with acceptance. Right worship begins with us accepting that Jesus is the Christ. And I know so many of you have, and I'm so grateful for that, but it should progress from that um, assent, that acceptance, that belief that Jesus is the Christ. It should go from that to us adoring him and, and worshiping him with everything that we have in life. But it's so often, like I said earlier, it kind of stops short. You want to see how that happens in Pete's life? I'm going to skip down to verse 21, if you can, on the slides with me. It says there, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Now, this became a common refrain in the Gospels. Jesus would say to his disciples, hey guys, thanks for thinking I'm the Messiah, I totally am, but here's the deal. I didn't come to do what you thought the Messiah was gonna do. I didn't come to liberate Israel from Rome. I came so that I might die for the sins of mankind and be raised again so that all might have life if they believe in me. That's why I came. And so he explains that to them over and over again. But these guys were like, wait a minute, that's not what I want. And so Pete, a guy who just verses before has been blessed by the Son of God, says this to him. He takes him aside. He begins to rebuke him. And catch the irony in this one. This is what he says to it. Far be it from you, Lord. Anybody catch the irony? It's like, let me tell you what's going to happen, boss. He says, far be it from you, Lord. Lord, there's no way that I'm going to let this happen to you. There's no way that I'm going to allow what you just said to become reality. Lord, you are my Lord, but not really, because I'm your Lord, because I'm telling you what's going to be. You ever prayed that way? Lord, thy will be done, but here's my will. Get to it. That's what Pete says. He says, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Probably comes from a good place. He's trying to be protective of the one he loves. But it certainly comes from this idea that Pete has about what the future will hold. Here's how I will be happiest. How I'll be most comfortable. You're not supposed to go to Jerusalem to die. You're supposed to go to Jerusalem to overthrow me and the fellows, we talk about it all the time. We argue about the chairs that we're going to sit in. Who's going to sit at your right? Who's going to sit at your left? We look forward to our positions in your government. And that's what we prefer. So get this nonsense about you dying. Get that out of here. Far be it from you, Lord. That will never happen to you because it's not my plan. See, Pete accepted Jesus, I'm sure he appreciated Jesus, but he hadn't in this per, you know, specific situation and in future ones as well, he hadn't put Jesus at the center of his life. He hadn't 
adored Jesus and worshiped Jesus in a way that whatever Jesus said was okay with him. So Jesus turns to Pete, this one who he had nicknamed The Rock, and he says this. I'll give you another nickname, Pete. Get behind me. What? Satan. He says, you are a hindrance to me. For you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Let me read that to you again. You probably know the get behind me Satan part. We say that all the time. It's a popular, well-known phrase. But maybe you haven't gotten the for you part. Let me hit it to you. Let me hit you again. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man instead. It's a worship verse. Why did Jesus call the rock Satan? Because in that moment, Peter wasn't worshiping Jesus. And if you want to be like Jesus and be counted as blessed in life with him, you you worship him. But if you want to be like Satan, you worship anything that isn't him. Isn't that what's happened with Satan? Not your way, but mine. That's how Satan got thrown out of heaven, Isaiah tells us, right? Isn't that what happened in the garden? Adam and Eve, not your way, but mine. There is a way that seems right to a man. But in its end, it leads to death. There is a worship, a partial worship, an appreciative worship that can seem right to us. But what does God require? What does he demand? Right worship. Full-hearted worship. Jesus goes on in these verses and he says, hey, listen, you want to follow me? Take up your cross. Deny yourself and follow me. Set aside all your plans and all your desires and everything that you think should be and just love me enough to trust me enough to follow me without question in true devotion. We got another year ahead of us, friends, family, another year of opportunity to worship our God in right ways, not half ways. I personally dream of being a guy who worships God the right way, knowing who he is and responding accordingly to his worth. I so desperately want to be in in such deep love with God that I trust him even when my questions come. And I have lots. I want to present myself to God as a living sacrifice. I want to allow him to renew my mind daily so that in all situations I'm aligned with him and not me. And when I think of us and our church, that's my prayer for us. That each of us would worship God better that each of us would belong and multiply and serve and be disciples who make disciples all for his glory. And we do it better than we have before. So as we close out this service, I'm just going to let us be quiet for a second. I just want you to have a time with you and God. And I want you to ask uh, Uh, or allow him to ask these questions of you. Um, 
seek God and just say, God, how can I worship you better? Listen to him, to the areas that he says, uh, we could be closer here. You could, you could follow my will better here. Ask God, where, where can I worship better? Maybe in the silence of this moment, God has made something real clear to you. Uh, if you've got a pen or a, a note app or something like that, I encourage you to write it down. I encourage you to, every morning this coming week, make that a matter of first priority in your prayers to God. And ask God in those areas where he said, we, we can do better here. You can worship me in more meaningful ways in this area of life. Commit those things to him. Stand with me as we close our service now. And we sing our praises, our worship, our adoration to our God. Let's sing. for your grace to us, God, in Christ. You've, you've given us life anew uh, because of our faith in him. And, and you've given us this opportunity, Lord, um, to go beyond just simple appreciation of you, of just, you know, taking what you give and being grateful. You, you've given us an opportunity this year to go further, to to adore you, to, to worship you, knowing who you are and acting accordingly as a result. I pray, God, that wherever you've led us in our thinking today to worship you better, to honor you more, um, you'd, you'd help us with those things. And that we'd walk from this place, which we do every time we gather, um, uh, to the rest of life, uh, worshiping you and seeing you as ultimate, not ourselves. Thanks for this reminder today, and I pray it because of Jesus and in his name. And I say amen. Amen, amen you guys. Love you. Let's have a great year worshiping him together.